Let's Talk Native is produced at the Eltian Studios on the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. I'm John Kane, and this is a Let's Talk Native podcast. I do this program uh, two or three times a week, uh, but I also do a radio show. And what I want to talk about today is something that I, I mentioned on my radio program, which was um, about what took place in New York City last week. And what happened was the New York City... Department of Education, DOE as it's referred to, uh, decided to cancel Columbus Day. And that's that's okay. I mean, that's, to me, that was, you know, that was an interesting and, and a good undertaking. I was pleasantly surprised. But it met an immediate backlash. And, it, of course, it met that backlash from the full range of, Italian-American politicians in positions everywhere from uh, the city council members, uh, you know, state assemblymen, the, the, the mayor of the city of New York, and, um, and the governor of New York. They all weighed in, and they all raised hell, and they got immediate satisfaction. So let me, let me explain. So the... The Department of Education cancels Columbus Day and uh, renames it. They redefine it as Indigenous Peoples Day. And so immediately, all of the powerful Italian figures throughout the state, from, like I said, from the uh, position in the five boroughs all the way to the, to the state capitol, raised hell because they genuinely feel like they had something taken from them. Columbus is theirs. And if you're wondering why, well, I, I think Andrew Cuomo put it best. Andrew Cuomo said, look, regardless of the atrocities that Cl Christopher Columbus committed against indigenous people, it, Columbus has come to symbolize Italian-American heritage. And of course, that's just bullshit. You know, Columbus has nothing to do with Italian-American heritage. In fact, he has very little to do with Italian heritage. He, you know, Italy wasn't even a country in 1492. It was a peninsula. It wasn't, it was a landmass. It didn't have that defined a culture. And, and to the extent that the lower part of, uh, of Italia, the, the peninsula, may have begun to define or have a defined culture, Columbus was from the north. He was from Genoa, which was more into the into the mainland of uh, of Europe. He spoke Portuguese. He you know and and Spanish. He 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 wasn't defined in any way, shape, or form as a as an Italian. He didn't sail for for 
Italy. He didn't, and he didn't sail for Rome either. Now, look, I realize that Italy wasn't a country, but but Rome and the Vatican, it was definitely a thing, and it's always been a thing, and it's it's had a major influence over, um, you know, over all of Europe, not just um, Italy ultimately becoming uh, becoming a country. But he didn't even sail specifically for you know for the Pope for the for the Vatican. He sailed for uh, you know he, he sailed for Spain, and because of Spain's relationship with uh, with the Catholic Church and with, with the Pope, there was a lot of interaction, a lot of interplay with the the doctrine of Christian discovery and and the papal bulls that you know that you know saluted and celebrated uh, Spain's. Um, uh, claim to these new lands and all that other stuff. But uh, again, nothing to do with, with Italian culture. And, and, and of course, the fact is that, that Columbus never even stepped foot in, on any territory that the United States claims as, as its territory. In fact, it is debatable whether he, he ever stepped foot on anything more than the islands of the Caribbean. And it is pretty well documented that he died believing that he had reached the easternmost islands of uh, of Indonesia, not of India, not the country, not the landmass of India, but but of what Europe had called the East Indies. That's why Columbus would call the the, the people who lived there in the in the Caribbean Indians because he thought he had reached the Indies. And in fact, rather than correcting his mistake. They would actually call the Caribbean the West Indies. Go figure, right? So he would never. I mean, the the fact that that he had miscalculated the size of the Earth and uh, you know and had this harebrained scheme that he could he could actually make it that far around the planet to reach. Uh, I mean, to 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 reach the, again Indonesia. Um, not only is a tribute to how bad a, a, a sailor he was, how bad a navigator he was, how bad an explorer he was, but also how bad at math he was. But, you know, so again, I don't want to, you know, prosecute Columbus again um, over all this. But seeing the, the reaction, the, the immediate backlash and the satisfaction that, that these Italian-American politicians got, it leads me to another conversation. And it's a conversation about not just white supremacy, but, but white privilege and white fragility. And I know, look, I, I know that I've talked about some of this before, but I think it's important that people understand. First off, white supremacy is a lie. It, it's not just a false narrative. It is a lie. There, <laughs> white people are not superior. I know it's been said for hundreds of years you know, uh, that, they, that, they, that they are, <laughs> And there is a large segment of the American population that still believes, I, I, well, let me back that down. They don't believe that white people are superior. They believe they should be. And, and this is where white privilege comes in. Because look, if white people were really superior, you wouldn't need to have systemic racism. You wouldn't have to rig the game. You wouldn't have to create privilege specifically for white people because they would already be superior and they'd be, they'd be already be benefiting from that superiority. But they don't. What they benefit from is white privilege, from the idea that white people can uh, can maintain the wealth and the power and the influence and all of these things. They can control how uh, how history is taught, what is considered history. They can control the media. They can control all this stuff. 
Now, again, I'm not saying that there aren't people of color involved in some of this. But if you look at the makeup of Congress, if you look at the makeup of the Fortune 500 CEOs, if you look at you know, the, the media moguls and, and, and the like, it, it's clear that it's white folks. So that is not just because they were superior. It's because the system is rigged towards them. I mean, they don't have to deal with things like whether their names you know, are, are identified as, as something less than white people because it sounds too black or too Hispanic. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Many of the immigrant populations that came from Europe that weren't specifically English <laughs> or, you know, or Spanish, you know, depending on where uh, in the new world they, they, they came to, but many of the immigrants had to endure a certain level of, um, uh, of, of prejudice and discrimination. Now, the difference is, and this is what, you know, what Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz's new book um, uh, discusses. It, uh, it's coming out in August. It's called Not a Nation of Immigrants. What, what she talks about is the fact that the, this population that may have been persecuted somehow and was enabled to transform themselves not from the, the the rejected immigrant but to become part of the the settler colonial class and italian americans you know did that and and they actually used the this idea this false heroic notion of christopher columbus to help and of course you also had, you know, the the Irish population that was trying to advance their their Catholic beliefs in in a in an otherwise Protestant uh, Protestant based country. So you had the Italians and 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 the Spanish, you know, the the, the Latin community and and the Irish, they were all advancing Catholicism too. So it, it's. But they all they all seem to persevere. And even Jewish people, in spite of the persecution that the Jewish people experienced, they too were were able to to transform themselves from a from a despised immigrant population to part of the settler colonial uh, population, the, the settler colonial aristocracy, if you will. But you see. The way that uh, white people benefit is again, it's by rigging the system. And this is what we talk about with white privilege. You, you create systems that favor white people. Uh, who gets elected? Who can serve? Who, could, who can even vote? All that stuff, right? So that's how you rig the system. Because, because actually white people are not superior, like I said. So you, you give them the added benefits to have more control, more power, more wealth, more opportunities. That's, that's what white privilege is. Now the problem is, at some point, white privilege gets exposed, and the fear of that privilege disappearing becomes white fragility. So there, there's a trans, you know, there's a, you know, there's a trajectory. It's, it's white supremacy, white privilege, white fragility. See, what we saw last week in New York was white privilege that allowed such a population of Italian Americans that that spans so many um, public offices. Uh, you know, again. The governor of the state of New York, the the mayor of one of the largest cities in the in the country, m many people in the in the state assembly, you know, both parties. Not this isn't you know this isn't Democrat and Republican. This is both. Yeah, so that privilege is demonstrated, and then their voice 
gets responded to so immediately. I mean, look, Native people have been complaining about things like Christopher Columbus and uh, and Washington, you know, Redskins. We've been complaining about stuff for decades. Almost on the same freaking day that that it, that it gets announced that that the New York City uh, Department of Education is canceling Columbus Day, almost the same day, with literally hours. They say, oh, we're, okay, we're going to back off of that. So what do they do? <laughs> they say, well, we're going to call it um, Italian American Heritage Day and Indigenous Peoples Day. Well, let me give you um, an analogy. I mean, for one thing, I don't know. <laughs> who would ever think that turning Columbus Day into Italian American Heritage Day is a good idea? Or, or, that's even a, or that, that even changes anything. If you're going to use the day that is widely known as the day that Columbus lands in the Caribbean um, as the day to celebrate Italians, then you haven't changed anything. You're actually continuing that, that same false narrative about Columbus, the connection to Italian people. And then you're going to celebrate. Yeah, you, know, you won't celebrate Columbus because, you know, look, some of that stuff's been exposed. But you're still going to connect that day to I mean, who thought that was a good idea? Because let me give you an example of what that would be like. And I know, I, I know people always get bent out of shape when you bring up Hitler or, or you know, or Nazis or, you know, or the Jewish Holocaust, but I'm going to do it again. <laughs> so imagine taking a day that marks Hitler's rise to power. If there's something definitive that you say, this is the day that Hitler arrives. And, and as a way to, to diminish that, you take that day and say, you know what, we're not going to acknowledge Hitler. We're going to call it Holocaust Remembrance Day because we're going to remember, you know, what a piece of shit Hitler really was. We're going we're gonna to remember that. And so we hope he turns over in his grave that the day that should have marked his rise to power is actually going to mark, uh, mark the genocide, the Holocaust, the horrors that that, that name and that, that person represents. So you do that. Well, that sounds like, well, that's one way, good way to turn that around. But then you say, but we're not just going to call it Holocaust Remembrance Day. We're also going to call it um, uh, German Heritage Day. On the same day that you're celebrating Holocaust Remembrance, on the day that should have, you know, really twisted this rise to power of Adolf Hitler, you're going you're gonna to celebrate German Heritage Day at the same time. That's the analogy. And look, and if you're uncomfortable with it, sorry. I mean, as a native person, I'm telling you in, in a way that perhaps you can understand because clearly people don't understand some of the stuff. And, and look, you know, we, we oftentimes, as I get involved in the mascot debate, we oftentimes will hear things like, well, you know, the, the use of this, you know, of Redskin wasn't intended to be insulting. And since there was no derogatory intent, then it's not offensive. Well, let's be clear. Intent has nothing to do with it. Because if you're doing something that is offensive to, to somebody else, you don't get to decide whether it's offensive or not. You can't punch somebody in the face and then tell that person how much it hurts. It just doesn't work that way. Let me tell you a story, and, I, and I've talked about this a little bit. And, and I, one of the films that I have... Um, 
screened in New York and, and other places is the, the, the film the, the Dakota 38. And, and I know I've talked about this before, but I want to go through it again because I, I want to explain this part of it a little bit different. You know, of course, the Dakota 38 are the 38 who were hanged um, in Mankato, Minnesota in 1862, a week before uh, Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation would come into effect. A week before. So in January 1st of, uh, of 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation that he's already gotten out there. People know it's coming becomes uh, comes into effect but but literally the day after christmas a week and a few days before that 38 dakota were hanged by the neck so what happened is there was a group of, of men um from from a, a variety of of native territories that know they have their own struggles and as as a means of almost of therapy a bunch of these guys you know decide they're going to, they're going to do a, a ride and they're going to do a ride that traces the, the journey that those Dakota 38 had to go on be, uh, to be hanged. And so they do this ride and it's, and it's December. I mean, I, I, again, they not, they don't just, you know, trace the, the, you know, the, the journey, but they're doing it at the same time. And it's, it's the it's the northwest i mean it, it's it's the northwest plains i mean it, it's it's minnesota it's cold so they do this ride and it's a rough ride i mean it's a i mean it's it's in the winter so it is it's a treacherous ride and it's tough on the people it's tough on the animals and and, and the whole bit what during the film of this they they key in on one of the young guys billy ray dumark and you know he's only like 19 maybe 20 years old um and you could tell he's he's had a tough time you, you, he's not only doing this this tough ride but there's some indication that he that he comes from from you know a bad place you know in terms of you know what his you know siblings have gone through you know where he lives the poverty the drugs all that stuff i mean this is a native kid who is a product of the some of the the worst poverty that the United States created created for native people and as he's going through this ride he he lightens up a little bit you know he, you can you can see almost a little bit of a sparkle in his eye uh, but one of the things that he struggled with was because this ride was so tough a bunch of the white people, you know, starts out with a guy who owns a tire shop who gives gives them a tire to, to help them with their horse trailer or truck or something. Um, but then people along the way help. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they uh, took in the, not only the riders, but their horses. They fed them. They did, they did a couple of, you know, almost like a feast, you might say, at least a couple of occasions. They, they had shirts that said thank you in, in Lakota, I think. Um, you know, they were, they were really you know, trying to, um, help these writers. Now, this film was produced by a non-native, but by a young guy from from Long Island, as it, as it would turn out. And he's a part of the film. He's in there. He, he's one of the organizers, so he's part of the documentary. He's not just you know off camera. And at one point, because you can tell some of these people are struggling, even with the graciousness of these white people. In fact, Billy Ray, Ray Dumark says, I, I, I kind of have, have trouble with, I think he might even call them Caucasians. He, he didn't know what to call them. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he talked about 
how he struggles with, with knowing how to react. And it doesn't really get into an explanation. But one of the film's producers says, I don't know why people can't appreciate what these white people are doing. I mean, they couldn't make it any easier. They, they, they took care of their horses. They, they, you know, they fed everybody. They, they even had shirts that said thank you in Lakota. And he couldn't get it. But I got it. Because these riders, they are riding through land that used to be theirs. That isn't anymore. That they were screwed out of their land. And these affluent white people who are being generous, and, and again, let me be clear, they're not trying to offend these native people. Quite to the contrary. But the level of privilege that they have because they're white, because now they now occupy all of the former native lands there and have carved out these affluent lives out of it, it's freaking offensive. They, they're not trying to be offensive, but it's offensive. So if you're a native writer who comes from a very impoverished place like Billy Ray Dumark. And now you're trying to face this idea of generosity from, from white people. And they can be generous because they're affluent white people. And why are they affluent? Because they're making plenty of money off the land that was once, once native lands. And then Billy Ray, like I said, he, he lightens up a little bit towards towards the end and then now he's talking about how good the ride has been for him and how he can't wait to do to do it again and as the film ends after they make it to Mankato and they do a bit of a ceremony and that kind of stuff and the credits roll in the credits this is in memory of Billy Ray Dumark doesn't explain anything so I, I after the first time I saw the film I noticed that so I did my homework I looked him up Billy Ray committed suicide. For, for all of the therapeutic benefit of the ride, once the ride was over, he had to go back home to a place that wasn't so comfortable. And, you know, and again, during the ride, I had to wrestle with this idea that he got to see affluence on his homeland that he's not a part of and then had to return to poverty. Now, I don't know the, the exact conditions, you know, that there were the day that Billy Ray took his life. But it, it just kept ringing in my, ringing in my ears. And, and look, I'm not trying to pick on the, the film's producer. But the fact that he says, I don't know why these people can't, can't get it, why they can't appreciate what's being done for them. White privilege does not have to intend to offend anybody to offend anybody now i'm going to take this story a little farther because i'm in the midst of doing a um uh well i've been i've been fighting the mascot issue in the uh, in the town where i went to high school cambridge new york and i'm participating in what they're calling healing circles and before we actually started the process of and look, and I'm, and this isn't about me, as far as I'm concerned. The healing is about 
the people of Cambridge trying to deal with the divisiveness that this debate has caused. And, and so, so the whole reason for doing this thing is to, is to help the people of Cambridge you know, come back together. Look, they should have done this after they retired the mascot, in my opinion. But, they, but anyway, they're doing it while the, the debate is raging on. But on the first day that this consultancy group came in to do these healing circles, they did a, a kind of a, a, a sample run. They wanted people to talk about their safe spaces. And, you know, and I've talked about this on another show, so I'm, I, I'm sorry I'm repeating myself. But it's relevant to this thing. It's relevant to the white privilege we saw in New York City, the white privilege we saw in the film Dakota 38. But two people who are on the board, when they're talking about their safe spaces, and, you know, and this is kind of what this, this healing stuff is all about. You know, we want you to share your, your, safe, your, your safe spaces and why it makes you feel safe. And, and two of them talked about the land that their families have. You know, one is a farmer and, and, a, and a big farm, you know, a thousand cat, uh, you know, milking cows. And, um, and in fact, the, the farm actually has a native name to it. It's, that has been appropriated too. And I'm not condemning that, but I mean, um, but so the one board member was talking about how their farm and talking about their farm, you know, um, has created a safe space for her. Uh, and one of the other board members talked about his safe space being uh, the land that his family owned in the lower Adirondacks, in, you know, kind of in, in, in the woods and the forested areas, 150 acres. And as I'm listening to this, I'm native. I'm, I'm Mohawk. I'm Gunyagahaga. Cambridge is situated on land that was occupied at one time by by Gunyagahaga, by Mohicans and Mo, uh, and you know and Hurons and others. But but Cambridge is is really what I would consider part of my ancestral homeland. But there's no native people that live there anymore. Oh yeah, there, there's a few. There's a family that moved back, but they're not from there originally. They're, they're, they have no ancestral ties, no indigenous ties to, to the land. But as I was listening to two board members talk about their vast land holding, and they weren't trying to offend me. They, were, they weren't, didn't say anything that, was, that most people would have considered offensive. But see, that's the whole point about white privilege. When you can talk about what seems, maybe that seems normal that people can have, you know, some, some of these people have these vast land holdings. And for a certain class of, of white folk, that is normal. But for native people displaced from that land, sometimes hearing about it, eh, it, can, it can sting a little bit. So what I had done when I spoke about my safe space, I talked about my, uh, uh, the place in New York that I, that I screened films, and I talked about Billy Ray Dumark. I didn't make the, the connection real clear between what I heard from these um, two board members and what Billy Ray Dumark's experience was. But, but I come back, I still come back to this, to this idea that there are a class of people that, that have privilege. And what happens is when that privilege, privilege gets challenged, <laughs> Columbus Day gets canceled, that privilege turns into fragility and, and then action happens. So, look, we can argue about what is, what's more dangerous, a white supremacist or, or um, you know, somebody who's feeling fragile because of their whiteness. I would argue the latter. 
I mean, it's like an animal. If an animal is threatened is when they're the most dangerous. And, and you know, sometimes the, the response is violent. When people are threatened, sometimes the, the response is violent. So what we saw was the privilege that this whole class of Italian-American politicians had to affect change immediately because they felt violated. They weren't concerned about greater good. They weren't talking about, they weren't worried about policy or social justice, none of that stuff. They were worried about their personal loss, their sense of loss because a holiday that they have now attributed with Italian American heritage. And, and, and again, let me, I've said this before on the show and I'm gonna say it again. When I heard Andrew Cuomo suggest that there's no way that he's ever gonna support taking Columbus statues down because Columbus has come to represent Italian-American heritage. I'll say it again. That's the same thing that those people in the South and other places who, who wave their rebel flags and support Robert E. Lee statues. That's the same thing they say. They say, no, it's not about slavery. I'm not flying this flag because of slavery. I'm flying this flag because of Southern pride. It represents Southern American heritage. Well, it's the same thing that the governor of the state of New York said about Italian-American heritage. Yes, it's attributed to these atrocities committed by Columbus or Robert E. Lee or the South, slaveholders and all that other stuff. But we're going to pretend, we're going to pretend that we're not celebrating that. We're going to pretend we're not celebrating Christopher Columbus. So when you turn Columbus Day into Italian-American Heritage Day, I don't care if you split it with Indigenous People Day. If you turn it into Italian-American Heritage Day, you haven't changed a damn thing. All that's been demonstrated with that was white privilege and white fragility. It's, but you know, but again, it's amazing because I do this show not to convince Italians to, to hate Columbus Day. <laughs> I do this show because perspective matters. And the perspective that that I have when I hear white people talking about their vast land holdings is probably going to be different than, than the perspective of somebody who will not be triggered by that. I mean, the, the perspective that Billy Ray Dumark has had on his ride for the Dakota 38 ride was different than the filmmaker from Long Island. And look, I can appreciate why he couldn't understand. My concern is that he may still not understand. Because we can't acknowledge that white privilege exists. White supremacy doesn't exist. White privilege does. And when white privilege is threatened, it turns into white fragility. If you never heard those three expressions strung together, it's important to know that dynamic. See, if white people were really superior, they wouldn't need the privilege and they wouldn't need to feel fragile. In fact, white fragility and white privilege are proof that white supremacy doesn't really exist. It's a lie, but it's a lie we're all living with. I want to thank you for listening. I'm John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native.
Yahweh.